would love to have the opportunity to do that after our worship service. We always have re coffee and treats and refreshments out there after the service. And uh, again, would love to take a moment to connect with each and every one of you, and especially if there's any visitors with us today. Hey, we are moving into uh, our... What is this now? Our fourth installment of our seven words to uh, change your life. And the word today is going to be help. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing everybody here, probably everybody here, at some point you have heard a blood-curdling cry for help. I've had that, I've had two occasions where I've heard people crying for help. Just, just sort of in, in your mind, kind of go back there to a second. I'm going to tell the story of one here. It was uh, when I was 19 years old. It was after my first year of college, and I was uh, off serving with Greater Europe Mission, uh, which is actually an organization right down in Colorado Springs, and I was serving in Sweden for the summer. I heard the call to go to the tall, blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful young women of Sweden to share with them the love of Jesus. I said, here am I, Lord, send me. And he did. It was an amazing summer. All serious, seriously, though, it is a very post-Christian culture that certainly needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I was serving there over the summer, getting to know a bunch of Swedes at the Nordic Bible Institute. And that was not far from a lake. And one day, some of us decided, me and a bunch of native Swedes, it sounds so weird to say like native Swedes, but native Swedes, we went off and we went to the lake, and there was a little island off the shore of the lake. And if you know how it is on the water, you're never quite sure how far something is, you know, out on the water. And we said, well, why don't we swim out to the lake? Well, that was fine getting there. It took about 20 minutes in my memory, because we're like, this is a bit farther than we thought, but we all got out to the island and we're hanging out we're having a good time the one guy was saying though ah, i'm kind of cramping like that was kind of hard for me and we're all young and dumb we're like ah whatever you know so uh, so we decide we're gonna swim on back to the shore of the mainland of course and uh i i didn't, recognizing that you know this one guy had said he wasn't wasn't feeling too too great uh, I kind of like hung over by him, and we're all swimming along, and we kind of get to that point where he says, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble here. I'm really struggling there, and pretty soon he was in the full-on flailing around, thrashing, crying for help mode of somebody who thinks they might drown. Now, I never took a lifeguarding course, but I knew enough to know that whenever somebody gets into that, they call it like the lizard brain, the survival mentality, I could die if something doesn't happen here. You know, they're not thinking rationally, and I knew that, you know, they can take somebody down with them. So I was put in a position right there. Am I going to go and try and help this person or am I going to ensure for my own safety so that the gospel can go out to other Swedes who need to know Jesus Christ. Today I want to preach about John chapter 13 and No, it's one. I'm like, no, what I, okay, so so okay, so here's what so I, I I go back and it was scary. And he's flailing. I'm like, calm down, calm down. Like I'm grabbing him. He's going crazy. Pretty soon. Two of us are screaming for help. Luckily, the others came over. They surround, you know, like we surrounded him. We got him calmed down. We got him to shore. Whew, but I got to tell you, I was shook up. I, I, I've told that story a number of occasions just because I was really shook up for days because I was certainly put in a position that I'd never been in where I was confronted with, wow, am I willing to 
lay down my life so that another might live, to lay down my life in helping, in serving another. And, 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 and nothing wrong with a survival instinct. We, we need to, you know, we should have a survival instinct, but it was impressed upon me, the ministry of Jesus Christ, that, you know, even before we were crying for help, in fact, when we were crying, crucify him, you know, kill him, kill him, he was willing to come to us, to rescue us, to lay down his, his life for us. But it strikes me as we now move into looking at the topic of offering help, whenever survival, our very lives are on the line, instinct wells up in us and we cry out for help, right? I, I, I mean, anybody in that situation is going to cry out for help. Help me, help me, I'm going to die if somebody or something doesn't intervene. So why is it when the stakes are lower, and I'm going to obviously be facetious right here, why is it when the stakes are lower, are we so reticent to cry out for help? Why are we so remiss to cry out for help when it's just our marriage that's on the line? When it's just our relationship with our kids that's on the line? When it's just our finances that are on the line? When it's just our faith that's on the line? Why do we seem so remiss to cry out and call for help? Well, we're going to explore and I hope actually practice asking for and offering help in the honest-to-goodness, life-threatening situations that we are find ourselves in. in. It, it, when, whenever our lives, our faith, our relationships, our marriage, uh, whenever things are at stake on the line, are we going to ask for help? Are we going to be the kind of people who are willing to offer help. We are four messages in. The first message in our seven-word series was the word yes. Yes sparkles. Yes is fun. Yes is glittery. Yes opens the door to move forward in identity and mission with Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. Love that message. Then we went to no. No becomes the scalpel to stay focused on our identity and mission in Jesus Christ, because on the other side of every yes is like a thousand no's that we have to say to opportunities, to people, to individuals, to good things even, so that we can go after the best thing, the one thing, what matters most. Last week we got into sorry, and that could be the word that could save your life. That could be the word that could enter you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, as the Bible says, to turn to God, to ask for forgiveness, to receive it in Jesus Christ. And likewise, sorry could be saving your marriage, a relationship uh, with a, a sibling, a, a, a spouse, a family member, a friend. Sorry could change your life, could heal your life, could fix everything. Today now we, we move into help. Asking for help. Asking for help is just so hard for so many. Because asking for help, let's just, I'm going to let's get some stuff on the ground here and then get into a Bible story that's going to kind of, I think, illuminate this. Asking for help is just hard for us because it's just humbling. Even more than humbling, it, it can just be humiliating, right? 
to get to that place where we just have to confess to a person, to a group, I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I don't have the resources on my own. The door won't open by my pushing on it. I, I, I'm stuck and I can't get out of a situation. I don't know how to figure this out. I don't have the internal resources, the experience, the knowledge. The, whatever it is, it, there's something humiliating about saying, I need help. And yet we've all needed help at some point in our lives. When we're babies, we so naturally cry out, stretch out our arms, and literally scream for help because we know without it, our lives are on the line. And yet somehow we get to that place where we say to our parents, we say to our family, we say to our friends, we say to the world, thank you, I'll take it from here, don't need anything else. That's a lie. It's not the truth. We never stop needing help in our lives. Let's just practice. Let's just get where. Can, can, you, can, you, can you just say the words, help me? Help me. Help me. Is that so hard? Not in this context. <laughs> help me. There's something humiliating and humbling, but so needed about asking for help. And, and then there's something about offering help. And here's the thing about offering help. Let, let's just be blunt about this. Whenever we're willing to offer help, the reality is we are going to be inconvenienced. <laughs> Whenever we offer help, it is going to take our time. It is going to take our energy. It is going to take our emotions. It is going to take our resources. It is going to take something from us if we are going to actually help people in and through situations in their lives. There's something humiliating about asking for help. There's something terribly inconvenient about offering help. Yet, from beginning to end, help is a good word in the Bible. In fact, help is a great word in the scriptures. The Bible starts with help. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, a passage that I hope is familiar to many of us. The Lord God said, and he's speaking to Adam, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, and the word we have here is helper. I will make a helper suitable for him. In the original Hebrew, this word azer, this is to mean even more than just our context of help, like to offer like a handout. This is used in the context of actually saving a life, a savior, even a redeemer. And, and just if I can go on a preacher moment for, 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 just, a, for just, a, just a second, th this is why we are an egalitarian church, because we believe from the very beginning in the created order that God made a helper, and the Bible then says suitable or like or equal to the man and that men and women complement and come together and reflect the image of God and they are to be a help to one another and then servants or stewards of all of God's gifts and creation. So just putting it out there again, like to make it abundantly clear that we believe that all of God's gifts are for all of God's children and that we are called to be a help to and for one another. And then God picks up on this, and from here on out, the vast majority of the times where the Bible goes into talking about help, it is speaking of help in the context of God as our help. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 121, says this, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my azer, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God offers and extends his help, his hand, 
his salvation, his redemption to us. Help is a good part of God's creation, his intended order, and a part of God's character throughout, and it becomes demonstrated, embodied, and lived out to us in Jesus Christ and from Jesus, extended to us who are to be the people who are willing to cry out and ask for help when needed, and to extend and offer help whenever and wherever we see it. Let's go to an amazing story. Um, this is a story I, yeah, I go to, I feel like every couple years, I just come back around to Jesus and the, it's the night before his burial, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's the night before, it's all about to happen, what we celebrate at Easter. And so much happens on this night, but this scene, this scene just, it, it's amazing. So I'm gonna pick up here in John chapter 13, and I'm um, going to skip a little part in the middle because I want to focus on the beginning and the end here, these kind of bookends of this story. So follow along here on screen or on your own screen or in your Bible. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knows. He is fully aware of the suffering he is about to endure, the sacrifice that he will make, what is about to unfold in the fulfillment of his mission. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We're going to skip to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There's not a lot of ambiguity in that, is there? <laughs> I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, verily, verily. Message one there. I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, uh, Jesus loved them to the end. It says that Jesus loved them to the very end. We just need to recognize at the beginning of this passage, and, and this insight I got from Daniel Strickland, who's created some incredible ministries in the Toronto area that have now gone global, but she reflects on how everything that Jesus has done, he has done out of love. If there's anything that God does, it reflects God's love. Anything and everything that God does infinitely only reflects this perfect love of God. It is out of love that Jesus goes forward in mission. And what we actually read here is that, that he, is, he has loved them to the end. And this isn't sort of just like a chronos in, in the original languages here. This isn't like the time is up. He says he, he loved them to the 
telos, the telos, I never quite know how to pronounce that one. It means like this completion. It's this kind of kingdom completion moment. He has loved them to the very end, to the very fulfillment of his plan and his mission. And what we see here is that Jesus has been pouring himself out in love for his entire ministry. And it's about to come to its apex, to its moment, to its completion here on the cross. That Jesus has been pouring out his love for them. He's been pouring out his love when people cried out who were sick and he poured out his love in healing them. He, he poured out his love when the blind cried out and he gave them sight. He was pouring out his love when people were thirsty and he gave them the spring of living water. He was pouring himself out when the people were hungry and Jesus said, feed them, give them something to eat, and he gave them something to eat. He was pouring out his love when the disciples were crying out in fear and he calmed a storm and he saved their lives. He was pouring out his love when he would go to the cross and he would lay down his life and he would sacrifice it all. He was pouring out his love all along to the very end. Jesus literally spends his life. He literally spends his energy, his emotion, his life, every resource that he has to give, going back to what we talked about earlier, has been inconvenienced, has been put out for the helping of others. One of my favorite verses, Matthew 20, 28. Interestingly, 28, 20, the Great Commission, we always love that, a good little memory tool. 20, 28, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to pour out his life, to spend his life, and it says as a ransom, as a ransom for many. Here, here's the point to write down to put on a piece of paper, to scribble in your notes, to listen online and get this, to put this out there on, on the social medias. Here's the point to remember about this, that Jesus serves then. Jesus helps. Jesus pours out his life. Jesus serves from love, not for love, so that we can know that we are fully loved. Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus is serving from love, not from a needy place for love. This way we can know that we are loved. Let me put it in the context that we started with the saying yes and getting focused on identity and mission. Jesus serves from his identity, not for his identity, so that our identity can be grounded in him. Jesus serves from his purpose, not to find his purpose so that we can know our purpose. Are you getting it, my friends? Is that sinking in? Is that making sense? That Jesus is serving from love, not for love. And in this way, we can know and have the assurance that we are the beloved. And our identity, our purpose, our calling, our love in him is secure. I, I've been on a bit of maybe a Henry Nouwen kick lately, m maybe for the last 25 years and maybe for the next 25 years of my life. But I love the story of Henry Nouwen's coming to the decision where he was going to walk away in many ways from the world and go to serve in the large community up in Canada. Um, Henry Nouwen was at the apex of his own career in the Ivory Tower. He had served at Yale Divinity School and was at that time serving at Harvard Divinity School. Uh, he had written many books. He, had, he was, we'll just put it this way, he was a very important guy. And then one day, um, Jean Vanier from the L'Arche community sent down one of the workers there at the community, uh, as the story is told, is a, is a woman named Susan. And Susan came to see Henry 
And she simply said, we, we have a message for you, Henry. And, and Henry said, in so many words, I'm a very busy man, a very important man. I don't have time for this right now. And she said, that's fine. It can wait. And so Henry went off to do his busy, important person things in the ivory tower and serving and teaching, which are certainly important things. And he let Susan into his home, and he went about his day's works. And when he came home, he said that he arrived and there was a meal prepared for him. That Susan had prepared a beautiful meal. And not only had she prepared a, a beautiful meal, that she had just made the house beautiful, setting the table, lighting candles, making it just a scene of true, true beauty. So much so that he said, you know, did you, did you bring this stuff? And she said, no, I just found it around your house, <laughs> just laying about. And she turned it into something beautiful. They sat down. They shared a meal together. The whole time, of course, he's thinking, what is the message? What is it that they want from me? Do they want a donation? Am I going to be pulling out my checkbook here at the end? Do they want me to speak at some fundraiser for them to be the headline? Do they want me to write the preface or the article to something coming out that will catch people's attention? None of that came up during the course of the meal. At the end of the meal, she said, that's fine. You relax. You've had a long day. Let me clean up. She cleans up the whole meal, tidies up, leaves everything just as it was. And she says, thank you very much for the evening, Henry. And she's about to let herself out. And Henry, of course, says, well, wait a second, wait a second. What, well, what is the message? And she said, um, I'm not, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. Um, just a story. She goes, she goes, I already shared the message with you, Henry. We love you, Henry. We're here for you, Henry. We'll serve you, Henry. We love you, Henry. And with that, she let herself out. And he said it was at that moment when he remembered down in his soul that he, too, is the beloved of the Lord. And when he was free to be the beloved of the Lord, he was free to love others in a similar way. And that began the journey that led Henry to walk away from Harvard Divinity School, and to go and to serve in a community of people that did not even have the capacity to read the books that he had spent his life writing. And yet there, serving those people, the least of these, Henry knew that he was the beloved and was called to love as he had been loved. Friends, when we, when we know how much Jesus loves us, when we know that Jesus is serving not for love, but out of love, we recognize that we begin to serve as the beloved of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved them, poured out his life to them to the very end when the time was about to be complete. And then he moves into this foot washing story. The thing about this foot washing that I love so much, that keeps it, you know, just, just coming back to the front of my mind and imagination of my ministry, is that this entire foot washing becomes the embodiment of Jesus's mission. It says that Jesus went to the disciples and he took off his outer garments. He took off his rabbinical robe, just as Jesus had taken off the robe of divinity of omnipotence, of omniscience, 
of being all-powerful, almighty, over all things. He stripped himself of that divinity to come and to love us. It says that he wrapped himself then in a servant's towel, just as he wrapped himself then in our humanity and flesh and blood so that he would be with the people that he was going to love. It says then that he, he knelt down he would have to humble himself, bow his head. He'd have to kneel down in order to wash his feet. Just as Jesus, moments from now, would bow his head and cry out his last breath and give his life, pouring it out finally, fully and completely for us to be forgiven and to have salvation. Said so that he then, he then rose up, just as Jesus would be raised to new life, raised in resurrection, wrapped again in glory to ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. This entire scene encapsulates for us so beautifully the entire life and ministry, the identity and purpose of Jesus Christ. And it stands so counter to the ways of the world. Did anybody see the latest um, version of the Hercules story, the, the version with Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Anybody see this? Anybody going to admit to seeing this? Nobody is going to confess to seeing the latest Hercules. Well, probably a good call. In the dark of night when everybody else is asleep because I was too ashamed to watch it with anybody else, I watched Hercules a couple months ago, it would have been now, and it was awful. It was awful. I mean, rock, how can you be so good and yet so bad? So in this story, in this retelling of the Hercules tale, of course, you know, classically, this is the tale of Hercules, the half-god, half-man. Well, in this story, Hercules knows he's all man. But he's put on the air, he's put on the pretension, this image of being half God. But the way that he's done this is that he's actually surrounded himself with um, a group that kind of is always lurking in the shadows behind him, always helping him out, always assisting, always like literally like killing people, you know, like on his behalf. And so he's able to become this mercenary for hire and make money by portraying himself as this half-man, half-god, invincible kind of dude, right? Except then in the course of the scene, he's eventually transformed, blah, 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 whatever. But in this one scene, what happens is he's out at the front of the battle line and he takes a hit to his shoulder. And he's hurt pretty bad. And he's starting to bleed. And one of his, you know, you know cronies sees this happening and kind of pushes through the battle, takes off his own cloak, wraps Hercules in it, and he says, never let them see you bleed. See, that's what the world is telling us that a God is like. Never let them see you bleed. Never let them see you humiliated. Never let them see you suffer. Never let them see you needing help. Never let them see you bleed. And Jesus, in this demonstration, has gone so counter to this way of the world. Strips himself of divinity. Wraps himself in our humanity. Lowers himself serves the people he was called to love, rises again then in glory and sheds his own blood so that we might have life forever. Everything about this story pushes up against 
what the world tells us we should do, how we should be, and how a God might act. And that is the beauty of this scene. It strikes me, it strikes me then at the very end then after this, and why we skip then to verse 12. From verse 12 to verse 17, Jesus says, five times by my count as we go through that, do you understand what I have done for you? If you understand what I have done for you, blessed are if you do it for others. Another story to illustrate that. Mother Teresa stories, you know, run rampant, of course. And the story is told from a reporter who went with Mother Teresa. Uh, and he was just going to take film and get some pictures and write a story. And he began that by simply going to Calcutta and getting it of him and then walking through a day with her. And, and by the way, let me, let me just say this. This is Mother Teresa's story, but there are thousands and thousands of other Mother Teresas in the world, men and women whose names we'll never know, who pour themselves out and doing what Jesus did so, but praise be to God, we have Mother Teresa stories to make, make points like this. He, he went about the whole day with her, and he watched as they clothed the naked and fed the hungry and sought to heal the sick and even took bodies and washed them and buried them, uh, dignified death. And at the end of the day, he, he just said to her, how do you do it? How do you do what? She said, how do you do it all day long? You, you, you just see the most wretched of situations, the most horrible, despicable poverty the world knows, and, and, and you, just, you just do this all day long. How do, you, how do you serve the people like this? How do you do this all day? And Mother Teresa says, is that all you saw, J just doing this dirty work? You know, this kind of, and he said, yeah. He, he said, in the way that only Mother Teresa could, of course, she said, that's, that's sad because... All day long, I, I just saw Jesus. All day long, I just saw Jesus every time I clothed somebody who was naked, every time we fed somebody who was hungry, every time we sought to heal somebody who was sick, every time we took a body and lovingly washed and buried them, we were doing it for Jesus. You see, Mother Teresa took to heart these verses from John 13. She didn't seek to interpret them too deeply, <laughs> to extrapolate from them a bunch of principles of how she might go out and make a difference in the world. She just literally did what Jesus did. She knew that blessed are you if you do these things. So she spent her life loving others, pouring herself, herself out, doing as Jesus did. I'm going to jump to a point I, I, I want to make here this morning for you all. Last Sunday night, I told you all that the Severe Weather Shelter Network would be activated and serving that night. And praise be to God, a bunch of you connectors jumped right in, and a team of us went there. And it is always a blessing and a joy to go and to serve as the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in this context. Or... And, and let me just say this going forward, or in any number of contexts where you feel called to go and to love and to do as Jesus did. I was particularly struck with the story of a young man named James that I got to know that night. James grew up a pastor's kid. James 
had a same-sex attraction and came out as homosexual when he was 18. He was kicked out of his home, rejected by his community, told that he was not worthy of love or to be loved and accepted in the beloved anymore. So he spent much of his life then on the street. He eventually met somebody and fell in love and they spent a life together and he died two years ago. He sought relief in alcohol and crack and has been on the street for the last two years. And now we are trying to tell him that he can be accepted and known and beloved in Jesus Christ. He is worthy of being sheltered. He is worthy of being fed. He is worthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, in the context of going through that night and going through these things, we are just about to get ready to kind of put everything down and shut down the lights. And I was looking around, and I saw this. I want to put the picture up on the screen. And if you can't tell exactly what that is, that is a young man's feet who is younger than me. And he's lost all ten of his toes to frostbite. And what I want to ask all of us today is would we be willing to kneel down and to wash those feet? Would we wash those feet? Because that's what Jesus is saying we need to do. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. To go and to wash the feet of those who are kicked out, abandoned, on the streets, unloved, unworthy, hungry, helpless, homeless, who need to know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No strings attached, no excuses made, no judgment given, no expectations other than we will love as Jesus loved because we are so beloved. You know, at the end of the night, end of the, end of the day, actually, we get up in the morning, and uh, we're cleaning up everything, and uh, we're getting ready, and all the guests are gone, and we're just about to shut down, and I'm going to just have to call him out here, because I notice he's here, but I think he's in the other room now. S uh, Stephen Frederick was serving with us that night, and Stephen, we're, we're all there, we're hanging out, we're just about to get to the end, and I'm just about to, like, sort of make a, a final statement, and Stephen looks at me, and he says this, you're not going to believe what this guy says. You're not going to, I mean, when I tell you what he says, you're going to be, you're going to just roll your eyes, and you're just going to, you're just not going to believe what this guy says after he has served all night, fed and cleaned up, and, you know, just, you know, been up and is tired. He looks at me, just as we're about to go, and he says, thank you for letting me help. Can you believe that? Thank you for letting me help. And I'm like, you should be thanking me. It is your honor and your joy and your privilege to serve alongside of your pastor, right? What? <laughs> Thank you for letting me serve? But is that not the most Christ-like thing that anybody could like ever say in their lives? Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you for letting me help. But it is. It is our joy. It is our privilege. It is our life to serve, to, to help as we have been helped by Jesus. And so, friends, that's 
that's it. I, I need to wrap it up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to get ready to lead us in some worship. As, as, as we seek to not interpret this anymore, <laughs> but to simply live into this example that Jesus says, do you understand what I have done for you? Then blessed are you if you do this, if you go and you help. And so here's, here's how we're going to wrap it up. Today, today, more than anything else, I want us all to cry out to Jesus, help me. The first words that are so hard for us, help me. I have something that I am in need of, that I am not able to provide on my own. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need redemption. I need to be ransomed. I need your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus Christ. I need you to help me because I need you to give me life. And I pray that everyone here would not walk out of this place without crying out, help me, Lord Jesus, and receiving the life that he offers. But as soon as you walk out of here, I want you to say something else. I want you to say, how can I help you? As I have been helped, I want to help others. As I have been loved, I want to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. And I pray that you will go out and be people then willing to offer and extend the help. Before it is even asked for, before it is even requested, before somebody humbles themselves, you just inconvenience yourself and say, how can I help you? To your spouse, maybe before the sun sets tonight, you can look them in the eye and sincerely and truly say, how can I help you? In this age, in this stage, in this place in life, it may be in a simple way this week, how can I help you? To look at your kids and to say, how can I help you this week? What's your pressure? What are you struggling with? What's keeping you up at night? Uh, what is making you sick to your stomach? What are you going through that maybe I don't know about? How can I help you this week? Maybe kids, you could say to your parents, I see you work hard and you're under a lot of stress and things to manage. Kids, you can bless your parents. How can I help you this week? Maybe you can say it to a friend. Maybe you can say it to a church member. Maybe you can be the hands and the feet of Christ to someone and extending help to them. Maybe even, maybe even in your small group this week, you might consider a foot washing. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do these things. I want you to ponder this. I've pondered this for many, many years now. Jesus tells us to do all kinds of things that we very conveniently disregard or interpret away. One of the things that Jesus tells us to do is to baptize in his name. And we do seem to love doing that. I mean, I want more baptisms here. Yes and amen. Woohoo! That would be awesome. We want to do baptisms. And that is so fun. And that is so joyful. That is so amazing to celebrate. We want, we want to do that. That's all about the life that we have in Jesus. Jesus tells us to remember him in his last supper, in this meal. And so we love doing that. We love breaking the bread and remembering his body broken for us. We love lifting the cup and remembering that by his blood we are saved. We love coming to the table because food is awesome and it's a joyful celebration. And then Jesus says so many times in this passage, do this and yet we conveniently interpret away this command because it's dirty and it's messy 
and it's stinky, <laughs> and it's ugly, and it's humiliating, and it puts us in the role of serving and being served with one another, and there is something about that that is just hard for us to do, I think. But I would invite you to consider, maybe in the context of your marriage, or in the context of your family with your kids, or in the context of some relationships that you share in a group as the body of Christ, maybe you would go there, and that this would be a breakthrough in all of us doing as Christ has done to serve and to help as he has helped us. Let me pray for us, friends, and then we're going to worship God. Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, God Almighty and glory, oh, that you humiliated yourself and stripped yourself of divinity and became one of us, wrapping yourself in flesh and blood, wrapping yourself in the servant cloth of humanity so that you could bow your head and die on a cross and win for us salvation. And I praise you that you were raised again in glory to a new life, to a resurrection that is now offered to us when we cry out two simple words, help me. I pray right now that men and women in their hearts, or even out loud, I wouldn't have a problem with that, are crying out, help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. And that we now, as the people of God, may go forth empowered by the presence of your Holy Spirit who has raised us to new life to be your hands and your feet and to go and to help others as you have helped us. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship our God.